Hello, Monetization Nation. Andy Goldstrom is a business strategist, B2B growth expert, professor of entrepreneurship, and author. Over his career, he's built and sold fast-growing companies, including two that made it on the Inc. 500. Today, Andy shares his entrepreneurial journey and what he has learned about being a good leader. One of the things he's going to teach us is why leaders should always speak last. Tectonic shifts are constantly transforming the earth and business, causing destruction and huge growth opportunities. I'm Nathan William, the host of Monetization Nation, where we learn how to leverage business tectonic shifts to transform monetization. I'm joined today by Andy Goldstrom. He's the author of Grow Like a Pro. He's developed a model called Business Fitness that helps business leaders optimize a business's value through its lifetime. He's the managing partner of Mid-Course Advisors. Andy and his team grow companies profitably and do it fast. Andy is a business growth and strategy expert. He started his advisory service after he built and sold two Inc. 500 companies, where he developed this approach called uh, business fitness. With this model, he helps business leaders succeed and avoid many pitfalls uh, that those without this knowledge or experience endure. And he's also a part-time instructor at Georgia State University, where he teaches entrepreneurship. Thank you so much for joining us today, Andy. Thanks so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Can you start off by sharing with us something that you are super passionate about? I am passionate about fitness and competing. So okay. I, I've always enjoyed um, it as a stress reliever and something that's healthy for me. And uh, frankly, uh, COVID's, uh, you know, one of the benefits of COVID, there aren't that many of them, but this time has allowed me, instead of being on planes or commuting somewhere, I've had a little extra time where I've actually been able to enjoy the outdoors and take my fitness game up, up a level. So I enjoy the way, you know, it allows me to connect with others. And, uh, and I like to bike, I like to hike. Um, and uh, so that's, that's one of my things. That sounds great. Uh, are you signed up for any upcoming races you're getting ready for? I used to do a lot of races. I did adventure races um, that that were, you know, often a full day or more. Um, and I used to run a lot of 10Ks. Um, but as my doctor told me about five years ago, Andy, you're, you're, you're 6'1 and about 200 pounds. You're not 5'6 and about 160 pounds. And so... Um, it's better that you avoid some of that pounding, uh, go forward with some of those aches and pains as you get older. So yeah. I'm enjoying the, the fitness that I can, uh, I can, I can deal with now, but I'm, I, I still compete. I still work hard, um, and, uh, still enjoy it. Sounds great. Can you tell us about your journey to build and sell these two Inc 500 companies? It's not a planned story. Um, you know, when I finished my undergraduate degree, I had a computer science background. So I learned how to program in things like Fortran, uh, you know, things and COBOL, things that don't exist or really aren't used today. It's come so far. Uh, but it gave me an idea about what to do and how to use technology from that time. And I needed to apply it to something. And so uh, I was able to apply it to the business world and started out after graduate school at what is a company called GTE, which is now Verizon. And 
you know, I worked in, it was big corporate, a lot of resources, a lot of good people, but it was too slow and too stodgy for my taste. Um, it just took a lot to make decisions uh, and get things done and add value. And so, and, and the other part was there were a lot of reorganizations that were going on outside of my span of control or purview at such a young age. And I realized early on that that wasn't the ultimate fit for me. And so um, it was around that time that um, companies started, it was, this was in the early nineties, companies started outsourcing more. And uh, there was a, uh, an outsourcing wave, especially in the real estate industry where, uh, which it, from a technology standpoint and, a, and, a, and an execution standpoint was a little bit behind the times. And so um, we saw, uh, I saw an outsourcing opportunity and uh, there was a company that was, was formed called uh, USI. And, um, and it was basically formed um, on a platform of a fully integrated service offering. So anything a business that uses its real estate could require. And instead of, and, and that was planning, strategic planning, transaction management, design and construction, uh, legal review, database administration. And what we did was we made a company's real estate an asset as opposed to a cost center and sold to the CFO. And what made, and, and so um, we, timing is a lot about uh, success with an entrepreneurial venture and the timing was perfect. And we actually were able to get a few customers um, who had very good interest and wanted to sign up with us before we even launched. So we were able to be able to uh, uh, break even within six months and uh, which is pretty unheard of. And, um, and we were able to expand with our clients as they grew because they had other needs and we became an Inc. 500 company um, shortly thereafter. And so, uh, you know, it was a, it was a great trajectory. Um, and uh, we had big clients, clients like United Technologies and Delta Airlines and Computer Sciences Corporation and Boeing and um, doing all of their work with teams on site doing all of their work. And um, in 2005, so it's been a few years since my first one. Um, we saw changes in the marketplace. Um, companies wanted to consolidate and go global. And technology and the internet did some of that. The world became smaller. Um, there was a desire to s save money. And so um, our, some of our biggest clients, coincidentally, within a couple months, asked us, we'd like you to do facility management work which we hadn't really done. And we wanted you to have a more global footprint and our global work was, we were in every state, but our global work was somewhat limited. And so we had a choice. It was it, you know, put your head in the sand and ignore your customers. Generally not a good idea. Mm -hmm. um, you build it, you, bu you buy it, or you uh, sell yourself. And so, or you grow it organically. And so, uh, we saw facility management as a, uh, an important but lower value, lower margin business. It's a very high resource intensive business. Um, and so we ended up selling ourselves in 2005 to Johnson Controls. And so we monetized the business 
because we had long-term contracts um, that had a sustainable revenue model that had fees and commissions in various different areas. We had really good customer base. Uh, uh, so we had a, a sustainable base and we had a, you know, a, a, a sticky, a sticky business model that, you know, because we were managing all of their real estate and had a database of all their work that allowed us to really do well. And so that was the first one. Um, you know, if getting to know me better, <laughs> a la GTE, after Johnson Controls bought us, I became the executive in charge of a big region for Johnson Controls, including the facility management business. And I learned a lot and managed a lot. Um, you know, the, the number of people and the amount of revenue grew substantially in terms of what I oversaw. Uh, and uh, it was, you know, $50 million worth of business and 500 people. But um, again, it, it, was, it was a little bit like GTE in that when we want a new account, there was a time it took two months to get an offer letter out of HR. And so, you know, just their pace was different. And so I just, after my golden handcuff came off, I, I, I looked for another company to help grow that was smaller and more entrepreneurial again. And so I took over for the founder of a, a waste recycling company um, where the founder had, had taken it as far as he could and needed a revamping of the business, basically. Newer technology, newer processes, a new leadership team, uh, new abilities to generate revenue. And uh, within three years, um, that company um, really took off again where the uh, revenue grew 30% and the uh, profit grew 70% in two years and building on the base that we had that achieved Inc. 500 status as well. And uh, that got sold to waste management. Um, and so um, those were the two Inc. 500 stories I have. Um, you know, uh, since then I've had a run with Deutsche Bank where I had global experience uh, in, a, in a banking capacity. And for the past five years, I've had mid-course advisors where I frankly just help small business and medium-sized business leaders uh, do the right things, you know, uh, to adapt their business models throughout the life of their business. Thank you so much for sharing. Of those amazing success stories, what is the biggest home run that you've hit? So it's interesting for a couple of reasons. One is I'm a big baseball junkie. I've always liked baseball. And in fact, my um, mother's father was a, um, a vendor at Yankee Stadium in the Babe Ruth and Lou Gehrig era. So I've always, been a, I've always been a baseball fan. And I live in Atlanta now and follow the Braves. But it's interesting. From a home, uh, when people ask me what, what's their biggest success or what's their biggest home run, I have a different kind of take on it. A lot of people talk about the awards that they've won or the accounts that they've gotten, you know, they've secured or, you know, victories that they've had. And mine isn't really that. Mine is the fact that um, with some of the teams that I've led, I've been told by people that I've worked with that they, that I inspired them and that they actually came to people to ask or came to me directly to ask if I could work, if they could work for me they could work for me. And so to me, um, you know, when I started at USI, 
you know, we had one account, we had others coming in, but it was basically, you know, do you just run the business on that one account or are you going to grow it? And if you're going to grow it, you have to have, you know, the right people who are incented, incentivized and developed in the right way so that they can do the work. Um, so you can grow and scale your company. And so, you know, I always tried to set a good example for that because I, um, I was more of an account person than a salesperson. I started in an account role when I was younger. Um, but in understanding that if I wanted to sell something, I was only as good as the people who were working with me and that I was a servant to them. And I, you know, for those who can see me on, you know, on, on, the, on the video, I'm bald. I'm not the most articulate. I'm not the best looking. I'm not the smoothest talker, but I, I am very trustworthy and I deliver what I say I'm going to do. And so I, I wanted my teams to do that. And so my, you know, it was, it was an honor and a pleasant surprise when more than once people have said, you know, uh, you know, um, you're the type of leader I want to work for. And that, you know, if, if, if you're able to help others, achieve their goals and in turn help yourself. There's no better achievement than that. Yeah. What is the biggest failure or mistake that you've made in your career and what did you learn from it? Yeah, I, I'm glad it happened early on because I've adapted. Um, but there was a time that I was leading a team and it was a senior team and we were in a conference room and I kind of knew what the right answer was. Um, in terms of what was being presented by our CFO that day. I knew what I was looking for. I kind of knew what the right answer was. And for some reason that day when that CFO, who was a great guy, presented, um, I cut him off and, and didn't give him the airtime that he deserved for the work that he did. And so, um, you know, what it did was, you know, the 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 answer that he gave and the impact of, of that meeting you know, was important because we were reviewing financials and our progress, but the impact to him in terms of the trust I had to regain after I kind of knocked him off his chair um, wasn't great. You know, it took some, it took time to rebuild that. And I learned um, a great lesson, you know, never to let that happen again. You got to, you, you have to be the last person in the room to talk. You got to let everybody else have, have their say. That doesn't mean that they're the ultimate decision maker but everybody needs to have a contribution and you know, cause that's what, that's what uh, allows a company to build. So it was a, it was a tough lesson, but a good lesson to learn. What an important lesson of leaders talk last, let everyone share their point of view and then share yours. And not only does that allow us to listen before we, we talk, but it allows us to, to gather the valuable feedback of those team members. It, it makes, it makes the feedback that we give much more, effective when we finally give it. And my view, I totally agree. And my view is, you know, um, in my consulting business with the, the, the great people, the, the great business leaders that I work with, or even on, you know, the own team, my own teams that I manage, they all have the answers they, because they know the industries, they know what their function is, they know what they're working on, but they may have different biases or be too busy to have been able to pull that apart. And so, or bring that to the forefront. So if you can create an environment where that can be, bless you. 
if, if you create an environment where that can come to the forefront, they'll, 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 they'll answer their, you know, they'll come up with their own answers before you even have to say anything other than I agree. Yes. Right. That and, is so important. And, and that's one of the things I like best about speaking last is when you speak last, if someone comes up with the idea you are going to say before you say it, you can give them credit for it. And then you have buy-in of those people instead of you, you know, saying the direction and then you trying to get them to buy in on your idea. Yeah. Just for any, you know, for your listeners out there, you're probably sitting back and saying to yourself, you know what, the, you know, what's being talked about makes a lot of sense. But in terms of people being con consistently being able to implement it and have it be part of a company's culture and the way it all works, not just with the top leader, but all the leaders, it, it, it makes such a huge difference. And those that I work with, I find that, you know, the transparency and the, you know, and the ability to, to understand, you know, the goals of the company and how everybody's contributing to it and give people to bubble up ideas that create innovation and all those things are, are, are vastly missing. And then when you're, you know, when you have a COVID situation or a, an adverse situation with some, you know, competition or something else that hits you, you know, what do you do? You, you kind of lock down, you don't, op you don't open up and think clearly or think ahead. And so those yeah. types of things that are baked into your DNA become that, that much more important. It's just like, you know, use the baseball analogy. It's just like the best quarterbacks like Tom Brady or whatever they, you know, they operate with the coolest heads under the toughest conditions and adversity. And that's what makes a difference. Yeah. Plus one more advantage to this, this idea you're sharing. If we speak last and we have to share or, or make a decision that they don't agree with, at least they felt heard. Yep. And it's a lot easier to swallow feedback if you know the person at least listened to what you had to say before they made that contrary decision. Amen. All right. Let's talk about monetization. What is the best monetization secret or strategy that you could share? So I think the best secret or, or strategy is part of, a, of one of the shifts that people have needed to take during this last year. Um, and that's, and that's um, focusing on today. And so it's not about, you know, new innovations necessarily. It's actually um, focusing on what's in front of you to actually create more cash opportunity. And so there are people who go out there and try and create whole new business lines and you know, thinking that what they have is, isn't going to work because of the conditions today. And it creates, you know, there's a ramp up time and a lot of risk involved in that and a lot of investment required where for most companies that have a, a book of business, there are opportunities where they've already created relationships, have a trusting relationship, can actually sell them other things, um, you know, either vertically or horizontally that will complement what you have you know, a cheaper version of the same model of whatever you sell them or, you know, or something that, or, or something that has more value that you can charge more for, frankly, because of their, because, because of the pain point that they have right now. And so um, a way to monetize right now that I've encouraged a lot of clients is rather than figuring out how to do something new, spend time 
providing more value to your existing clients. Second thing is if you have a pipeline of business, those are people who've already demonstrated interest. So they've already cleared the first hurdle. So what is it that you can do to reduce that sales cycle to help provide more value and, and, and focus on that? And then the third thing, frankly, is about, um, you know, is about receivables and, you know, understanding your cash conversion cycle and what it takes from the moment that you outlay a dollar to provide a service or, or a product to the time that the cash actually hits your bank, not just the sale or the accrual, but the actual cash that you can pay bills on. And so those three things, you know, are what I've, what I kind of talk about uh, is looking just out beyond the hood. So it's when you're driving your car, you know, just looking straight ahead in terms of what you can do to, you know, right in front of you. Um, but at the same time, for the companies that have succeeded, they have to look down the road so they don't run into a tree <laughs> and, and, and be able to look at what can they invest in that will actually help them either, you know, through COVID or coming out of COVID in terms of what they're doing. And one example is a commercial cleaning company that I've worked with that, you know, is focusing, you know, was focusing on everything. So, you know, they were focusing on um, uh, retirement homes and office buildings and um, hospitality and retail. And a lot of it dried up and or, you know, or or there wasn't as much of it. You know, you don't need to clean an office as much if there aren't people in it. And now the level of cleaning is different. But what I did was I focused him on uh, the leadership there on um, developing a niche and being specific where they can make a name for themselves. And it involves um, post-construction cleanup. So if somebody builds out a new office or builds a new building and they need cleaning, these are the guys who can do it and really have an understanding of all that. So we repositioned them so that they could get all the revenue in that they could with the book of business they had, but then looking down the line office, there's going to be a lot of office changes that require construction in terms of the way people work go forward, either in size or configuration or whatever. And by, um, by being in position to do that and being the biggest fish in a smaller pond, you're more likely to succeed. I love that. So to, to summarize, what you're saying is we should take our existing customer base that we've already built relationships with that already trusts us and, and we should try to sell them another product. We should diversify maybe the product or service that's available. And some ways that people are doing that a lot today effectively is through information products, where they're saying, I already have this client base. Now, can I sell them an online course or can I sell them a, a virtual summit or can I sell them a, an event that they can come to or a um, there's, a, there's a whole series, a mastermind course, right? There's a whole series of products that, um, we can use to upsell that existing customer base. We don't have to build something new. We are selling them an additional service or information package or something like that. Yeah. And the whole thing that's important is you really have to understand how the pain points of customers have changed. So if their needs have changed in terms of the way they consume, like if you, you know, the example that you just gave is if you normally would, you know, and this happened to me in my business a little bit, if you would normally, you know, um, visit a client and provide um, instruction 
to help them change the way that they do things. Well, maybe they they don't have the ability to do that because they can't gather now and may gather differently. So do you have the actual, you know, modules that, that people can use online and learn in a different way and penetrate in a different way that will actually satisfy that need? And you may end up making more revenue because you'll have, even though your price point is different because it's being consumed differently, you might reach a lot more people and it's a lot more scalable. Yeah, I have a great example of that that just happened a week or so ago. Um, the largest family history conference uh, is called JEDCOM. And normally they, they hold this event in Salt Lake City and there's about 30,000 people that come each year to talk about family history. And because of COVID, they couldn't do it in person like they normally did. And so they did it virtual. And they actually increased from, I, I, I could have these numbers wrong. This is just someone told me the story. They increased from about 30,000 uh, attendees to 300,000 attendees because they were able to go, go global. And so many people that were normally not able to fly to Salt Lake City and attend this live event were able to attend. 10 times more people attended their event. That's so crazy. The same, the same event they were producing, the same speakers, and just were able to push it out to a much larger audience. Thank you so much, Andy, for sharing your stories and knowledge with us today. Here's some of my key takeaways from this episode. Number one, success is a lot about timing and being prepared to seize the opportunity when the time comes. Number two, leaders need to know how to adapt to the changes in the market, just as we are teaching with tectonic shifts. Number three, good leaders build trust by doing what they say they're going to do. Number four, a leader is only as good as their team. Number five, a leader should talk last. Talking last builds trust, openness, gives room for feedback, and helps everyone feel heard. If you enjoyed this interview and want to learn more about Andy, you can listen to or watch part two of this episode or connect with him on his LinkedIn profile. If you want to learn more about his company, Midcourse Advisors, you can visit his website at midcourseadvisors.com. And there's a link to both of those sites in the blog post for this episode. Did you like today's episode? Then please follow these channels to receive free digital monetization content. Number one, you can get a free monetization assessment of your business or subscribe to the free monetization e-magazine at monetizationnation.com. You can also subscribe to the Monetization Nation YouTube channel and podcast. You can also follow Monetization Nation on Instagram and Twitter. What is your strategy for being a successful leader? Please join our private Monetization Nation Facebook group and share your insights with other digital monetizers. Thanks for joining me for this episode. I wish you success in your efforts to become a better leader. Do you want to become a better digital monetizer? To receive great monetization stories and secrets, please go to monetizationnation.com and join free. And if you liked today's episode, please subscribe to the show and share it.